Good morning. Our first reading this morning comes from the book of Jonah, chapter 3, verses 1 through 5, and verse 10. And this can be found on page 917. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message I give you. Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and went to Nineveh. Now Nineveh was a very important city. A visit required three days. On the first day, Jonah started into the city. He proclaimed, 40 more days and Nineveh will be overturned. The Ninevites believed God. They declared a fast and all of them, from the greatest to the least, put on sackcloth. When God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he had compassion, and he did not bring upon them the destruction he had threatened. Our second reading is from the epistle, 1 Corinthians 7, chapter 7, verses 29 through 35. And this can be found on page 1,132. What I mean, brothers, is that the time is short. From now on, those who have wives should live as if they had none, those who mourn as if they did not, those who are happy as if they were not, those who buy something as if, as if it were not theirs to keep, those who use the things of the world as if not engrossed in them, for this world in its present form is passing away. I would like you to be free from concern. An unmarried man is concerned about the Lord's affairs, how he can please the Lord, but a married man is concerned about the affairs of this world, how he can please his wife and his interests are divided. An unmarried woman or virgin is concerned about the Lord's affairs. Her aim is to be devoted to the Lord in both body and spirit. But a married woman is concerned about the affairs of this world, how she can please her husband. I am saying this for your own good, not to restrict you, but that you may live in a right way in undivided devotion to the Lord. Our gospel lesson this morning comes from the book of Mark, chapter 1, verses 14 through 20. In respect to the gospel, please rise. After John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee, proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the good news. As Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will make you fishers of men. At once they left their nets and followed him. When he had gone a little farther, he saw James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John in a boat preparing their nets. Without delay, he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men and followed him. Here. You may be seated. There is a, an unmistakable sense of urgency in those three Bible readings that we heard just a moment ago. Jonah, speaking to the uh, people of Nineveh, says, you've got 40 days. 
St. Paul, in his letter to the, the Corinthians, tells them the time is short. And Jesus, in his first recorded words, at least in the Gospel of Mark, says the time has come. The kingdom of God is near. It would seem that time is of the essence. There's not much of it left. And if that's true, it becomes urgent that we set our sights on the goal of life and that we get our priorities straight and live accordingly. No hesitation, no procrastination. The time to respond to God's call, his invitation, is now. And in particular, Paul's warning in the epistle lesson expresses this urgency. He says, this world in its present form is passing away. So it's implied that don't get caught up in it. And cartoons can sometimes can sometimes uh, teach a life lesson. Now this one, the words are not real clear on the bottom, but you see an airplane here with the top blown off, uh, two pilots sitting there, and the one loses his hat and says, oh great, now there goes my hat. Now this is a Gary Larson cartoon, and, and people find Gary Larson, you know, former syndicated cartoonist, either find him tremendously funny or they scratch their head and I don't get it. Or they maybe say something like, sick. I, yeah, it's like a bad dad joke or something. I like Gary Larson cartoons. And this one in particular tells me something, the life lesson here. In a sense, it's a, it's a virtual hyperbole, an intended exaggeration in order to make a point. And what's the point? Don't major in minors. This guy's got way more things to worry about than losing his hat. There's a tremendous catastrophe coming in the next moment for him. Or, how about this one? Same cartoonist. They're in a morgue and one of the staff members says, oh man, look Ernie, this guy has the winning lottery ticket in his pocket. And his buddy says, lucky stiff. <laughs> a moron expressing an oxymoron, you know? Lucky stiff, it's kind of like uh, a trusting politician or a, you know, a, a faithful lawyer or something like that. Lucky stiff. And what's the point? Well, the time to respond to God's call is now. Don't be distracted by temporal values. The time is short. Time is short. That's true whether you're talking about you know, personal time here on earth and death, or as Paul refers to it here in the epistle lesson, uh, the second coming of Christ. And as that is anticipated here now through a culture that tends to be rather immoral, 
1 Corinthians 7, where the epistle lesson comes from, the entire chapter, Paul's talking about God's gift of, of marriage. And he's talking about it from his perspective, and he's giving us his advice. And he makes that very clear in this chapter. He says, I'm, I'm speaking from my own point of view. This is not a, a direct word of God that you need to obey, but this is my preference. And he says right away in the second verse, it is good for a man not to marry. To be like me, he says. Paul never got married. Probably a good thing he didn't, considering his life. The dangers that he faced in his world travels whether his wife stayed at home while he was out gallivanting around the world or whether she joined him and went with him, it wasn't probably a good idea for him to be married. And so he says, those who marry will face many troubles in this life, and I want to spare you this. But if you cannot control yourself, you romantics out there, if you cannot control yourself, he writes, it's better to marry than to burn. Well, the present form of this world, that is everything that we tend to value in this world, including marriage, is passing away. And so we should live, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 7, with a sense of urgency, keeping the main thing the main thing, as the saying goes. Marrying and marketing and feasts and funerals, as well as winning lottery tickets and, and hats and presidential elections, and for you Packer fans out there, dreams of the Super Bowl, that's all, all belong to the present form of this world. A form that we tend to, to hang on to at all costs. But how is the, the present world treating you right now? Do you have family and friends? A satisfying job? Comfortable home? Well, so the world is a pretty good place. But what if you lost your job or half of your retirement portfolio in the last few months? Or what if you're sick and there's trouble at home? Well, then the world is not such a good place. These are the forms of this world, forms that are constantly changing and that will disappear sooner or later, but at least on the last day when the earth is destroyed. But they are forms that tend to control our thoughts and to direct our lives and become our goals. And the danger is that we let these world uh, forms impose on us this short-sighted and, and passing away agenda. A greater concern than how is the world treating you, though, is the question, how are you treating the world? Specifically, is it your master? Or is it your servant? Do you use it in such a way that it doesn't use you? Now, Paul is not, obviously, advocating here that we should avoid everything that ties us to this world that we should get rid of our wives and our husbands, our emotions, possessions, by use of, well, here's the word again, that literary device called hyperbole, that is intended exaggeration to make a point, he's telling us what it means to live under the Lordship of Jesus Christ, daily expecting his return. 
and the end of this world in its present form. It's not just a matter of intellectually knowing this and agreeing with it and casually saying, as we will in the creed, that he will come again to judge the living and the dead and then forgetting about it until next Sunday when we say it again. No, a few verses later, Paul writes, I am saying this for your own good, not to restrict you, but that you may live in a right way in undivided devotion to the Lord. In other words, it is okay to get excited about an election or a football game, to celebrate a wedding or a birth, to mourn a death, to enjoy shopping and the pleasures of ownership, but to do these things in such a way that, that they don't distract us from being centered in Christ and waiting for his return which will change all of these things. A month ago, uh, my wife Nancy and I, and Nancy's here somewhere this morning back there, joining us, celebrated our 50th wedding anniversary. Yeah, yeah that is something to celebrate, and it's yeah, one of the greatest joys of my life, is being married to Nancy. She is... Uh, been a wonderful ministry support for me, a wonderful wife, uh, mother, grandmother to our grandchildren, uh, a great friend, companion, uh, fashion advisor, what, whatever you're confident. She is all of these things to me, and you know, I can't imagine any way my life would be better without her. On the other hand, I can imagine so many ways that my, li my life would have been worse off without her. Which makes me say, I hope I never have to experience that. The loss of my wife. And for that reason, obviously, I'm saying, I hope I am the first one to go. You see how quickly the value of these forms of the present world changes when they are taken away from us. A car accident, a stroke, heart attack reminds us of the, the shortness of this life and of our inability to take any of this with us when we die. We can't. And it's then that we realize the need for a, a deeper source of satisfaction, an eternal one, one that, that only Christ Jesus can provide. He is the, the main thing in this life. The one who can satisfy us with his love, with his companionship, being with us at all times, present in our life. He is that deep joy in our hearts that, that overrides life's losses. Who is there for us tomorrow when, when everything seems hopeless today. He daily seeks after us and finds us and who promises that in our seeking after him and his righteousness, all of these other things, these forms in the, of the present world, will be ours as well. But remember Paul's advice. Use these worldly things now in such a way that they don't use you. 
often off the relationships and the things of this world do have you under their control. There is no time like the present then to hear Jesus call to repent and to, to follow him. You're hearing that call again this morning. It's announcing to you that for the sake of Jesus' death in our place, there is forgiveness for our, our misplaced priorities and our ne neglectful past. It's an invitation to believe that and, and in believing to be truly free and at peace. But here's the thing about God's call. It's always for the present. It's always for now. Paul says the time is short. Jesus says the time has come. The kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the good news. See, God doesn't leave his voicemail to be responded to at a later date. He doesn't say, uh, here's the offer, now get back to me when you've had time to think about it. Or maybe later in life when it's not such an inconvenience for you. He doesn't say those things. Paul would later write, now is the time of God's favor. Now is the day of salvation. There is an urgency here because there may be no other time than the present. And the mercy of God would not want us to lose out. To the wicked people of Nineveh who are about to feel the full force of God's judgment, God first sends a reluctant prophet. Warn them, he says to Jonah, get them to repent so that I can spare them. Jonah did warn. They did repent. And God did spare them. There's an urgency also in Jesus' call to for professional fishermen in today's gospel. Come, follow me, he says, and I will make you fishers of men. And then Mark writes, without delay, he called them, and at once they left their nets and followed. No stopping to analyze the, the personal sacrifice that would be required you know, the loss of family attachments or vocational livelihood. The cost was great. Following Jesus is total surrender. Life would never be the same. Wives, possessions, temporal hopes and dreams, all of those things would have to take a back seat now. There might even be the threat of a premature death. A threat that was actually realized for most of those disciples but it was a treasure that was too great to ignore. It was a pearl, too precious to let slip away. And there was no time like the present to do something about it. You know, people can do amazing things at the spur of the moment. Some of our best decisions, I think most of you would agree, some of our main commitments are made that way giving truth to the slogan, when you snooze, you lose. Perhaps it's true that after 2,000 years, many of us have, have lost the sense of urgency in our spiritual lives, too. After all, the world goes on as, as it always has. 
the present forms of this world are enticing, and we think, well, the church is there when we need it. God's on hold. He'll wait for our call. We can be like that proverbial frog that allows itself to slowly boil to death in a pan of water where the, the temperature is gradually increased. We may react quickly to sudden dangers that confront us, but if our relationship to the Lord and our life of service to him gradually deteriorates, we allow ourselves to boil in, in happy ignorance to become a lucky stiff. That is no way to die. And neither is it any way to live in the meantime. Our Lord wants so much more for us. He, and not wanting us to miss out on this, he calls us again this morning when he says, come, follow me. In your walk with Jesus, how far are you willing to go? Have you surrendered your marriage to him? but failed to be a servant to your spouse? Have you surrendered an hour on Sunday morning to come to church, but kept God out of your personal life the rest of the week? Have you surrendered your tithe as an offering to him, but, but not your inward greed that is never satisfied with what you have, always wanting more? Life is filled with choices, but none as great as the one Jesus places before us again today. Come, follow me with all that you are and have. All of it. That is not hyperbole. It's a call to discipleship. It's a call to sacrifice, to die to self. So do you want to be a fisherman for the rest of your life? Do you want to join Jesus in fishing for men? Do you simply want to be a church member? Or do you want to be a disciple? A follower of Jesus? It's your call. And there is no time like the present. <laughs>